Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the King of the Jews. The solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, is one of my favorite feasts of the church year. For he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, yes. For he reminds me, this feast reminds me each year that I should give my total allegiance to him, yes. But ultimately, I love it because at least on this year, this third in the liturgical calendar cycle, when we get to hear Luke's telling, it completely flips our understanding of what it means to be a king on its ear. Do me a favor, imagine yourself on that uh, show Family Feud. The question is, what do you think of when you think of a king? All the board goes up. Six answers up there. What do you got? Number one, top of the board, crown. Number two, throne. Three, banquet. Four, banner or crest. Five, power. And six, palace. Now, we're going to reverse the order. See through the lens of Jesus, our king, in this gospel. Those who just made it onto the board with the answer, palace. When I think of a king, I think of a palace. Now get to hear of Jesus, the one who, yes, was ascended into heaven, but first was born in a borrowed cave and then was buried in a borrowed grave. In his own words, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So I propose that today, this feast day, perfectly timed. Yes, in part because it's the end of the liturgical year, and next week all the purple will be out, it'll be time for Advent, we'll be lighting wreaths and getting into the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel's. But in the workings of providence, this understanding of the kingship, this understanding of a palace, it's almost like the Lord placed it here just in time for us to face the week of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You think you need more stuff in your palace and in the palaces of friends. Perhaps today is the day to reflect on this king. Second, next on the board was power. When people think of kings, they think of power, and rightly so. Political, technological, financial, kings have it all together. But our king shows something altogether different. Because it is by being weak in this gospel, ultimately weak on the cross, that he shows his true power. Because it is in this, in this weakness that he destroys death. He shows true power. This week a friend and I rewatched Gran Torino, a movie that... Uh, the priest can't fully endorse for the violence and for the vulgarity, but this Clint Eastwood film has such redeeming qualities because the Eastwood character, as he shows this man of strength, this man of the world, who even as an octogenarian was able to stand up to all the abuses of Detroit of his day, when was he the strongest? It wasn't when he was on the battlefields of Korea. 
It wasn't just with his quick wit or his crude language. It wasn't even with his guns or his fists, but, spoiler alert, it's when he's most weak, when he's most vulnerable. It's that that he draws out evil. It's that that he destroys the gang that's destroying the neighborhood. And it's that that some will argue is the best image of the cross in all of cinematic history. The power of our king is seen in weakness. Number four, next on the chart is the banners. The banners are always waving over the kings, right? You can't see it without his crest, without the coat of arms, or in this case, that small banner over his head, I-N-R-I, Jesus Nazarensus Rex Eudorum, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was placed there as a mockery, it's true, but it was ultimately true. Not just the King of the Jews, but the King of all the world, in fact, of the whole universe. Third is the banquet. How many of us picture a king at a royal banquet? And rightly so. But this king, this gospel, shows us just a taste of it. It's all it took. They offered him that poor wine as he hung upon the cross. The scholars will point out the night before at the Last Supper, he took three of the four cups that were required for the Passover meal, but he never finishes the meal. He never finishes it until the cross. Because every time we come to reenact the Last Supper, we also reenact the cross. It is a representation of the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate banquet. Thus, he says as he hangs upon the cross, it is finished. The meal, the gift of the Eucharist, it is culminated, it is completed the banquet of our king. Second, first runner-up on the family feud charts is the throne, right? Who doesn't think of the, the throne of the king, his throne room where he is the focal point, surrounded by all those praising courtiers? Well, they got one part right. Our king is always the focal point, but his throne... His throne is actually not gold and cushions, but a rough-hewn cross. And he's surrounded, instead of by adoring cheers, what does the gospel tell us? That the rulers sneered, the soldiers jeered, and even, even the criminals reviled him. Those closest to him, on his left and on his right, were those two those two deacons for this celebrant, the two revolutionaries, or as we commonly say, the two thieves. And in there we find in our king such hope, because one of the thieves, he stole his way into heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In this day, Jesus promises him, and please God us, you will be with me in paradise. And then finally, at the top of the list, right, is the crown. Those of us that got to see some of Queen Elizabeth's 
burial, her funeral, that crown was placed so prominently upon her casket. And rightly so. Even the show calls it the crown. But think not of bejeweled crowns for our king. Instead, as St. Paul says to the Colossians and to us, he who was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, this king wore a crown of thorns as he thought of us, as he loved us, each of those thorn points pointing to our own lives. He is our king. And may he reign forever.